0: Hey, it's writing process podcast host Chris Wink here. Today's episode is with novelist Zinzi Clemens. She and I spoke in early April, and so it's important to note that in recent weeks, she's been in the news for publicly sharing her experience several years ago with unwanted sexual advances by Pulitzer Prize winning author Juno Diaz. Since then, other women have shared similar experiences with Diaz. After the wave of national media attention, I spoke to Zinzi and we both agreed it was important to acknowledge that here, an interview so soon after that public discourse. It's an example that closely tied communities for writers can bring about our best work and they can also hide toxic behavior. Today's episode won't include that vital discussion simply because it was recorded before Zinzi shared her story. So, this is a reminder that Zinzi has given us much more to think about beyond this interview. Please engage with Zinzi's story and the far too many others that make up today's Me Too Reckoning. Thank you. Now, on to today's episode. Does the journey to breakout novel always run through an MFA? That and more today with What We Lose author Zinzi Clemens on the writing process. Welcome to the second episode of The Writing Process, the weekly podcast conversation with masters of the writing craft in one, many, or all of its forms. I'm your host, Chris Wink, and today you're going to hear from one of the newest bright lights in fiction writing.
1: I'm Zinzi Clemens. I'm a novelist and an editor.
0: Zinzi is the author of What We Lose, an experimental novel that follows the experience of a daughter caring for a dying mother. The novel, it which debuted in 2017, shares its narrative in lots of ways beyond traditional prose. That includes blog posts and lyrics and other vignettes stitched together. The book received widespread acclaim upon its release. Vanity Fair called it powerful. Vogue said it was boldly innovative. The Guardian called it a debut of haunting fragments. The New York Times review referenced its distinctive and bold form. The National Book Foundation last year put Clemens on its annual 5 under 35 list. Yeah, she's a big deal. This is the debut novel that everyone dreams of. But a decade before that, she had just gotten her B.A. at Brown University and was working at a New York publisher. She was one of thousands with an inkling that she wanted to write great books, but without a clear pathway to get there. An MFA at Columbia helped her get onto the modern publishing conveyor belt that led to this vaulted debut novel. But she is an uneasy champion for that well-trodden route. Her top advice for any writer of any form is to know your goal first, before you give way to an industry.
1: It's really important to know what you wanna do. Um, first and to be pretty solid in that before you let the MFA world or the publishing world infect your original intentions to, to trust yourself and to to do what you want to do and not what anyone else tells you to do.
0: But for all her unease, there is no question that her prestigious university pathway is a necessary part of her story so far. At Brown, she found James Baldwin and tumbled out into the writer workshops and literary norms that have grown up around book publishing today. She found the beginning of her fiction voice, not far from her upbringing with a South African mother and an American father. Her story is truly unique. Most of us won't go to prestigious schools, and many won't have such a distinct upbringing. But she is full of practical advice that is instructive for any writer, novelist or not, likely because she now teaches writing at the college level, too. Zinzi and I spoke for more than an hour. She was sweet and humble and generous. For this episode, I condensed that conversation to the most actionable 30 minutes on how great writing gets done. We talk plenty about what an MFA can offer a writer, and we close out with her reading two versions of a short passage from her novel, What We Lose, both the original submission she gave to an agent and the final published form. We spent most of our time talking about her process today, which includes more music listening than you might expect. One of her cousins was a member of a tribe called Quest, after all. Music was a theme throughout this conversation, as you'll hear right away it's a major explanation for how someone who didn't actually do much reading or writing as a child might become a celebrated new voice in a very traditional form.
1: The thing that I kind of arrived at that, that's been a constant that I think probably really influenced me is um, hip-hop music. Um, I, if I have this thing where like, I've always been able to memorize rap lyrics like really easily Um, and uh, one of the things that
0: I Specific to rap? Are you saying specific to that genre? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like a kind of weird thing because especially like in the 90s when I was growing up like there was always a lot of hay made over like, you know, what are they saying in rap music? They're talking so fast and I never had (laughs) trouble figuring out what they were saying. Um, and one of the things that I always remember um, thinking about very often and really loving about hip hop music is how you could see language um, evolving over time um, from song to song. So, you know, you have, um, you know, a rapper will say something in a song uh, like a term and then in the next you'll hear a song that's made like after that song and they use the same term, but they'll put a different spin on it. Um, right. It's it's called wordplay, I guess, in, in the most strict sense. But um, just the way that um, through like making songs, you're able to like play with language and play with meaning is something that I think I've always implicitly understood because of rap music. Um, and I think that that's actually a lot of where the influence came from for me is just listening for a long time.
0: Yeah. And and so n- not critically, it's not the form you. You are a writer in now
1: (laughs) I don't have a secret rap career That's not what I'm (laughs) trying to reveal (laughs) But I'm You know, I'm a a lifelong listener Um, I think it's something that Is definitely uh, Still very much a part of my life Um, I guess I wrote about it for the first time when I wrote about my cousin Who was um, A fife dog in A tribe called Quest, and so I think it's something Um you know, it's always been a part of me, but I think maybe I'm approaching it a little more consciously at this point, and maybe I will write about
0: it more at some point in the future. Mm. So, so, so do, you, do you have the memory of when you were first writing in the form that you're taking now, which in the most recent sense is novel, but you've, you've done other fiction writing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember an early memory like that? And, and was it still being influenced by, by hip-hop? Or, or were there some other influences that made you go down that genre?
1: yeah so the first time I sat down to like consciously write a short story was in in college um and so it's it's wow. not at all difficult for me to to remember um right. and i I started writing that in in you know it's still the same format of um what we lose uh which is first person and my my fiction does tend to be first person um and it's sort of like it's very confessional, it sort of reads like poetry. Um, And I think that it's, it's a bit you can see a songwriting influence in it, you know, (laughs) like, in the way that like songs tend to be first person, and they tend to be about like confessing and about talking about like your deepest emotions. And um, I think that, you know, that that influence is there definitely in my style. And that was how it it really you know, the first time I sat down to write a story, that was how it came out. Um, I think you could draw a pretty direct line from that first story to what we lose. And it's just always been about, like, exploring who I am, using fiction to explore who I am. Um, and it's always been pretty, pretty similar.
0: So, you, from your undergrad window that you just described to you coming off a, a wonderfully celebrated debut novel, that's not a really long time right <laughs> that, that that's interesting. You, how quickly were you like, oh, I'm good at this
1: It's you know the thing is I feel like every writer has their own like bullshit internal timeline and like you're never gonna convince them that like, anything but that timeline is is like absolute truth and right. like. Because when I was writing the book I felt like at the end of my rope Like around the time that I submitted it Like I'm done uh, You know if this doesn't work out I'm definitely quitting writing forever <laughs> Because I've been writing so long And no one's recognized my pure talent Right So I felt Yeah like my internal clock Is is, is not not really Universal I understand that um, But I, I guess Part of I've always been really, really, like, really uh, maniacally goal oriented. Um, and so I'll say this, like, um, and I, I get a lot of questions along these lines from my students as well. And um, the MFA, I think, I think I approached it really in the right way. And maybe this is what you're getting at with your question, like, how did I make it happen so quickly? Um, I. I wasn't focused on anything but writing a book, and I've been singularly laser-focused on that since basically not long after I wrote that first short story. Um, so, you know, I I could get into a very long rant here, and I'm not sure that this is the purpose of this podcast, but since I, in the time since I graduated college, um, the MFA, like, thing has exploded a lot. So when I was an undergrad, it was like Iowa and Columbia, and there wasn't much besides that. Um, And now, you know, there are MFA programs springing up all over the place. There's low res. You know, there's any kind of thing that you can, um, that you want. You know, for any type of writer, you can imagine you can find a program. It hasn't always been like that. And the other thing is... um, MFAs have become so important that it's hard to it's hard to publish a book without doing one. You know, it's just because the system of publishing has shifted so much towards MFAs that that's where you meet your agent, that's where you meet your editor, that's where you meet your readers, that's it's focused or it's built around that at this point.
0: Just you know, there was we went through a years long conversation of that, you know, what was the the prison that someone put forward? That you know, you you choose your MFA or or you're living in New York were the were the two, stereotype pathways, right? Um, right. And are you kind of feeling you being, you know, a, a, among the more, you know, a a product of, of the MFA side that you're feeling that tilt toward, the MFA side of the of that, you know, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but but the, the, the prism of you have to choose one or the other?
1: Uh, I, that's actually... That, that wouldn't be my conclusion that I choose the MFA mm. side. I Maybe I think what I would say it doesn't necessarily fit within that binary. Um, what I would say is that you should be very solid on what you want to do as a writer before entering an MFA. And probably, I guess I would say... Before like really thinking about those those sorts of questions like MFA versus NYC. I, I think right. so what I decided what was best for me and that was based on the fact that I wanted to publish a novel um, but not everybody wants to do that like there are some people who want to teach writing at the college level or they want to study writing for a few years and then become an editor or become an agent or you know they want to write book reviews um, And where the difficulty comes in is that um, writing is uh, not um, a lucrative industry. And (laughs) (laughs) you can spend a lot of time figuring your shit out um, and not and kind of getting turned around into another direction that ends up costing you a lot of money and not achieving what you want to do because you're listening to people who are supposed to know what you want to do. And I, what I'll say is there are a lot of people with their own interests um, who are invested in, in the business of, of teaching people writing right now. And it's important to know what <laughs> you want before you start listening to those sales pitches. Um, mm. And I think if there's one thing that, that I did really right, because you know, not all advice is transferable to everyone else. But this is, like, figure out what you want to do and don't let anyone else take you off of that path. Um, So whether that is writing a novel or going to New York and just trying to get your shit published or whatever it is, just stick to that thing, and if that includes an MFA, do an MFA. I think For me, it did end up including doing doing an MFA, but um, I was never wedded to that idea from the beginning. Um, I wasn't going to do one, actually. Um, but I just realized that for, it made sense for what my goals were, and so then I decided to enroll in it.
0: So, for one, some of the other interviews in this season have really short feedback loops. Musician on stage, comedian on stage, journalist with you know a story in the in the paper tomorrow obviously speaking really generally about the form of, of novel um, by anyone's internal clock it's a lot longer a feedback loop yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. it it definitely it has its downsides definitely like waiting is, is a horrible uh, part of the life of a writer but I think that that long process of preparation has actually always really appealed to me um and, like, the idea of working on something and, like, just working on it from beginning to end and, like, doing, like, just this really intricate, mind-numbing problem-solving that, like, novel writing a novel takes, I find that, for some reason, exciting. Um, so I'll say, before I... Um, There was actually a gap between my undergrad and grad school of about three years um, when I worked in publishing in New York. And that was a really important time for me because I was discovering, like, just that. Um, I was working on, like, these really production-intensive books, um, like, a lot of visual books with my boss. And I really enjoyed, like, making lists of, like, all of the artwork that was in the book and, like, cataloging it and... Um, like, tracking it, and, like, all this stuff that most people will find mind-numbingly boring and drive them insane, like, I actually liked it. (laughs) And, like, figuring out my own systems for organizing the data and all of those things, like, that's what a novel is. It's, like, constructing this big universe or, like, this huge machine from nothing, just from an idea. And, like, yeah, if I I guess that's a yeah another one of those things like if you enjoy that like writing might be a good <laughs> writing novels might be a good career for you um so yeah like definitely long feedback loop and I really like it I find it comfortable like um I've I interned at like a couple of magazines um and even um like these were not you know this is not the daily news. I think I was like working on a weekly magazine, and the turnaround there I found too quick. <laughs> right. And it's like right. things like that that kind of tell you, you know, you can't do this. You can do this, and and the long the long lead time is definitely a thing for me where I feel like I need it.
0: From the the mm. time you said I have the pieces to make this novel up, um, how how long is that until it's you know you're you're holding the the book in your hands giddy.
1: Uh it's a It's a little complicated with this book because it started out as a different one, and I'd say mm-hmm. I only felt like I'm going to finish this book uh like that happened twice for me, and the second time it happened was when <laughs> um uh, I actually did end up finishing that book, and that that is like, I guess from that point until finish finished. Um, which I would I would actually consider finished being when I sent it to my agent and she then shopped it. Right. So that's my finishing point. Um, that was like, I want to say three years. Okay. And okay. there were about two years before that when I was writing a different book. And then it...
0: Is that something you'll revisit?
1: No, it was horrible. <laughs> no, it went in the trash. Got it. Um, But that's also, you know, that's also fairly common as well. Right. Um, I think especially in the first. So the one thing I'll say is, like, I think my process will probably change a lot. I hope it will also Mm. because there was a lot of waste that went on. And in writing the first book, I was really, like, trying to figure out how to write a novel, period. And so hopefully the next time I do it, I'll be more efficient at it.
0: Do you mean literally? There's a file that's somewhere in in Zinzi's world that you literally delete, or that exists somewhere, and, and you're, you're not yes. even harvesting it?
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: You're not even going to harvest it. No. There's nothing that you said. This section or this this that's just it's 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 there. It's 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 mothballed. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. It's dead. Interesting. That's fascinating. Okay. Heartbreaking, um, I would say. literal process. What kind of things, you know, for those who are either thinking about an MFA or who have done an MFA, for you, what did it do for your process? Were there specific changes in behavior or methodology you got from going through a a proper graduate program with, with, you know, fine arts and writing is the the focus?
1: I really learned uh, just from being through so many workshops, um, how to figure out who to listen to whose feedback to listen to which maybe sounds less important than it actually is but it's actually really really important i think um so when you go through workshops you know it it basically takes like a couple of years i think to to really test out the kind of feedback you're getting in workshop because you're not going to know it takes a while like to to revise based on comments and then you know you send it out if you're interested in that and then like it takes a while after writing it to like be able to see it clearly and to understand like whether you like that piece of writing or not and from just going through so many workshops and getting so many comments like after having published work and you know revisiting it on my own i can basically see what i What I value versus what other people are saying they value. So, Hmm. um, for example, like when you're in workshop, right, you always, you can kind of like, or writing group, you can kind of like start to, at some point in the class, start to predict what certain people are going to say about your pieces. Right. Yes. yeah. So you've had that happen to you too. Like
0: that guy never liked or whatever. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And that's, like, their taste, right? And you kind of figure yeah. out, like, a lot of times it's based on, like, they just don't like that kind of story. Sometimes they don't like you. and <laughs> like, no, right. that's part right. of it also. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like, through, like, hearing so much feedback, revising stuff on your own, and then, like, sending out into the world um, that I learned, like, at Columbia that you can't listen to everyone, That like, a short story isn't a focus group. Like, if you try and apply everyone's critique of your work like it's just gonna get focus grouped to death and it's better to like divide a workshop um, than to have everyone happy with what you're doing because usually when that happens it turns out like a little bit milk toast um, but it's really important to have a point of view and you know not everyone's going to like that all the time but that's really much more desirable i think um, and i learned that from like getting shitty comments from people and then like <laughs> revising a story working on be like i actually like this i don't care what you say
0: <laughs> right and that is that that's hard yeah that that's very hard yeah. particularly because you you can find people you respect who you just i disagree with you i respect you but i just disagree can so that feels like that might be really you might have some really powerful Advice for, for people listening. Let's say we plop you, Zinzi, into a workshop, totally, you know, cold, and just assume that people in the group are relatively well intentioned and and relatively good. These people are relatively good. Um, what are some tactics you're gonna take in knowing how to most effectively manage that feedback?
1: Yeah. Um very specific advice listen to what that person says like not just about your story but about other people's stories do they know about what they're talking about like usually not um i guess like this became pretty clear to me for some specific reasons so a lot of like a lot of times um in workshop and obviously this has been written about a lot Like, I wasn't even getting helpful critiques on my work because people just didn't understand, like, what I was writing about, you know? Like, people at my program were not very political. um, Like, couldn't really converse with the political side of what I was writing. Couldn't really converse even with, like, the stuff that's not said in America. And it's like, because they don't get that, does that mean I'm not a good writer? No, it doesn't. You know? And then it's just like, yeah, like I would have other classes with people, and you know they hadn't heard of like people that were very important to me, and it's like, well, take all of that into account, and you know they're not God. That's another important thing to realize. Like, not even the chair of your MFA department is God, and that's also like the one of the things that I love about writing. uh, That like there are no prescriptions. There's no formulas. Even if you know uh the president of penguin like lo- loves your book they could be fired the next day you know it's there's right. always there's so many different opinions and so many different places to be accepted um why why let you know joey in your mfa workshop make you feel bad about it like fuck joey he doesn't know anything <laughs>
0: Like this is the this is probably the most nerdy specific question. Right. If you were to say if if I was like Zinzi, you want to talk right now, and you said I can't, I'm writing right now. <laughs> what would that actually look like? What yes, are you I tend doing? to
1: spend a lot of time thinking about it, um, making notes, making lists. I watch a lot of movies. Um, I find hmm. that it helps with like uh, time and research because obviously it's quicker to re- to watch a documentary sometimes than it is to read an entire <laughs> like historical book on it um so you know i'll I'll watch movies related to the subject if i'm writing fiction um i'll like even just listen to music that puts me in the headspace of like where the character is um and i'll count that also so i think maybe this is good advice like anything that i do like kind of, that's kind of related to the writing i count that as writing um and i say
0: and what do you mean by count? Like just in your own self-satisfaction of knowing I am in fact yeah, doing work?
1: and that's actually really important because like if you think about like one of the biggest challenges to writing a novel is just doing it and not quitting. And the thing that makes you want to quit is the voice in your head that says I'm doing this wrong, I'm procrastinating, I'm not doing it right, um, I don't know where to start. So it if you can, like, remove some of those voices by saying, oh, I watched a movie today, that counts. I did something, so tomorrow when I try and... when I have to actually sit down and write, I feel like I've done something already, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I I feel like that about the writing process. Like, I don't feel like... I feel like you should just do whatever you need to do to get you to write the thing. Um, And, like, sometimes Mm. it takes lying to yourself... Sometimes it takes, like, you know, buying yourself, like, a nice meal because it makes you feel good. And then you feel less terrible about how you're a terrible writer and achieve nothing in your life. So, a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of it is just, you know, tricking yourself into doing what you need to do is, like, actually really important. And not feeling guilty about it.
0: Can, can you say a bit more about... You're, you you. mentioned in there taking notes or yeah, lists. What first, that it starts with like, like
1: collecting stuff. So, uh, I'm a collage artist, so I do like to collect um, source material. Um, I use and I use Evernote. I really like it. Uh, so, whenever I come across something that is like I find like a little piece of inspiration, I always always collect it. So, I'll usually um, you know put it in in Evernote. Or um, if I'm on my phone, you know, I'll even just take a screenshot or something. Um, then um,
0: and, and that can be an, an image, a, an article, words, music, any, any media that, that f- captures yeah. something? it could be like a YouTube
1: video. Um, usually it's an article it. like with a specific idea or like a reference to something that I want to research later. Um, so mm-hmm. number one, I always collect stuff. Um, I also have like a paper journal uh, that has a pocket in the back and I staple, I'll like draw stuff in there. I always collect things. Um, Then I, uh, in terms of writing notes and lists, I write quite a lot on um, the notes app. I'm an Apple user. So uh, the notes on like your phone and the computer, I actually find it useful because you can sync them between your devices. And so I'll have like all of my notes that, you know, some of them I have like, you know, parts of writing that ends up in my book that have ended up in my book, things like that. I'm just on the road and I get like a line or something. I'll just write it down in there quickly. And then later I can pull it onto my computer. And and that can
0: be literally a phrase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off but I wanna be super yeah. yeah actually good.
1: and that, that's when I use that function, um, when I use that program, it's usually something like a sentence that I think of um and I don't mm-hmm. wanna forget it. And so I'll I'll just write it down, um and then I'll use it later on in something else. And it's usually like about language, like a specific term of turn of phrase I don't want to forget. Um that mm-hmm. but that I like think of in my head. Um So I'll write stuff down in there. And then um, usually, so I have a folder on my computer where I put my writing and like ideas. And if I have something that like makes it to an Evernote or like a note, um, if I want to expand on it, then I'll write like a Word document. Um, And I usually, so for what we lose, you'll you'll like this nitty gritty detail. Um, I actually, (laughs) so for that. Book. I have a folder on my computer that um, I started. I think when I started writing this book in earnest. So I mentioned I I started writing this book twice, right? So I had another mm-hmm. folder before that was just novel, and then when I started writing this book, I started another folder on my computer that's called What We Lose.
0: Yeah. More focused. There you so, go. <laughs> but this folder
1: contains. Let's see. Uh, how many drafts? Let's see, about five. Five drafts that I can see right okay. now. Okay. No, more than that. About ten drafts of the novel itself.
0: There are. And how much. How different are these? Not very much.
1: Um,
0: okay, okay. So,
1: well, some of them are, some of them aren't, but, um, you know, there were changes. They could be like, you know, there's a character in this draft that isn't in the next draft, but for some reason. I can say there's definitely a reason why all those drafts existed. I just don't remember what they are. (laughs) But I had made, like, a big enough change that I felt like I needed to start a new draft. So in this folder, let me, I'll tell you right now. Um, There are 408 items. There Hmm. are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... 12 subfolders.
0: Wow. Um
1: so there are a couple for things like um travel expenses relating to the book, but not that many.
0: Okay. <laughs> right, right. So very that's like mm-hmm. the the administrative mm-hmm. side.
1: Right? But mostly, so I'm opening up a I'm opening up one of the documents and um it's a nice little trip down memory lane, and I haven't done this in a while, but so one of the documents in this folder is just called Biggie Lines, and I have um, I quote it. I quote some <laughs> lines from Notorious B.I.G., and I guess this is a document where I was uh, trying out different lyrics for different his different songs, and so it just has lyrics from Ready to Die and Everyday Struggle, and that was you know.
0: So it's wait. <laughs> this sounds so important. So you are. You're right- you, you are you are writing biggie lines to get in them in the headspace or say more about what this sounds so important. What are you well, doing?
1: For that one specifically, I was um I was trying to figure out which one would go in the book. So that was actually I think
0: that oh, was during the
1: revision process. So Got it. for okay, the final quote that appears in the book I think is like two or maybe four lines. That's basically the process that got me to those two lines in the book.
0: I see. So this is into your point of collection. I am collecting Mm -hmm. these to another for another time when I'm going to go through the editing process.
1: So, so it's that. It's also like my brainstorming and everything. That's all that folder with 408 items. (laughs) That's all my brainstorming. That's my process.
0: if you wouldn't mind indulging us in reading a few short um, words or passage you've written, and then I would love to take a moment of, of, of picking at or hearing from you about how it changed over over the process of original writing to to whatever you consider the final form.
1: Okay, page 31. I've often thought that being a light-skinned black woman is like being a well-dressed person who is also homeless. You may be able to pass in mainstream society appearing acceptable to others, even desired. But in reality, you have nowhere to rest, nowhere to feel safe. Even while you're out in public, feeling fine and free, inside you cannot shake the feeling of rootlessness. Others may even envy you, but this masks the fact that at night, there is nowhere safe for you, no place to call your own. And um, I was just looking at the original Or at least one of the earlier iterations in my drafts. Um,
0: How early in the draft would you consider? Yeah, so this
1: would be... I think this is the draft that I submitted to editors.
0: Okay, so so you've put some effort into this at this point. This is not top of the dome.
1: No, but this is all from my own editing. So this is... Yep, fascinating. uh, Yeah, okay. So... Let me just first make sure I want to read it. I won't be terribly embarrassed. <laughs> no, okay.
0: that's, it, actually, it would be better if you'd be embarrassed. That would be way more interesting.
1: Oh, okay. Now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just
0: the, read the, it. the point is, is that of course, I, I, like, we're trying to break down the reality of no one... Drops down from the heavens with with words of the Lord that are perfect. It's it's a process. That's the, Oh, yes. Use the my head, own so. words
1: against me. Damn yeah, it. Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> even the, even the, the vaulted and clemences of the world have to go to the oh, work. That's, that's the message here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Um, here's the original. We'll see what you think. <laughs> okay. Um, being a light-skinned black woman is like being a homeless woman in a fur coat. There is the part of you that everyone sees that is beautiful desirable desired but inside you have been rejected by every conceivable group black white and everything else never quite fitting in with no group to call your own some may envy your clothing but ultimately you are homeless
0: Mm. so wow like that actually that's so indicative it's super helpful because what are you conveying there? That the, the central idea, mm-hmm. you would probably argue, remains unchanged from original draft to published version. But mm-hmm. how that idea is conveyed. And so maybe let's take a very literal example. Um, your version, homeless woman with a fur jacket to a well-dressed homeless person. Mm -hmm. For that phrase, do you remember or could you talk at all about why that specific phrase changed from draft to publish?
1: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, uh, reading it again kind of reminds me. I think, so the original version is, you know, I think there are moments in the book, uh, not as many as some people might think, but there's a few moments where, like, Zinzi the writer comes through, hmm. um, and in the original, I'd say that's a moment where Zinzi the writer comes through. We're not, we're kind of a bit not really talking. Tandi isn't exactly talking, and um, I think in the original, and you're was...
0: contrasting with with your with your, your 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 eye narrator. That's what you mean by Zinzi the writer, right?
1: Yeah. So as opposed to um, the character, the I narrator, that's Tandi in the book. Um, That's one thing. But I think this is where I'm speaking. And I think um, this original draft is is much more direct. It's like it does feel like someone just telling you how they feel. And then I think because it felt so vulnerable to me, um, like I am telling some of my true feelings about what it feels like to have this experience. I think I needed to kind of insulate it a little bit and make it less like this is someone who's speaking directly to you. Um, I think to protect myself a little bit. And um
0: it's we'll actually more about, Yeah, what is protect yourself? That that seems important too. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I it's I mean it's probably one of the hardest things to describe, but I think that's one of the things that probably every novelist ends up doing. Um, kind of like I just said, when you're writing a character, and particularly when you're writing from an eye point of view, um, it's, the character and yourself does start to blend a little bit and it necessarily does. So to write any good character, you have to be able to empathize with that character. You have to be able to put yourself in that character's shoes. And eventually through, you know, working on a novel enough and getting inside that person's head enough, you do actually start to become them a little bit, or the character starts to become you. So when you're writing a scene where a character is having an argument with his wife, you implicitly base that on arguments you've had with your wife in the past, or I would base it on arguments I've had with my husband. So your character, it does, you do end up seeping through. Constantly really and to prepare for I think the book being seen by other people You need to kind of shore up some of those spots where you're saying is this really me or is this the character? Um, And it has to always be the character. So I think In this section what I was doing was saying this is a little too raw This is a little too close to me, so I need to make this feel like... I need to, like, wrap it, I need to insulate it a little bit so that it doesn't feel like it's me talking, so that it feels like the character talking.
0: All right, that will conclude the second episode of The Writing Process, a conversation with Masters of the Craft in all of its many forms. Look for The Writing Process on iTunes and all the many places podcasts appear and subscribe. This is the second episode, so if you dig it, please give this podcast a review. It helps. Find all of our episodes as I post them at writingprocesspod.com. Thank you to Zinzi Clemens for joining me. Follow her on Twitter at Zinzi Clemens. Thanks also to my best buddy, Patrick Big Tims McNeil, who first introduced Zinzi and me. Our music, both theme and interlude, is by James Spadola, who can't tell the difference between a protagonist and an antagonist. I am your host, Christopher Wink. Find me at Christopher Wink or taking conference calls on my bicycle. Until next time, remember, choose your words more carefully.